We're going we're gonna to turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 36 through 46. While you're turning, I want to mention, you know, I told you we needed workers and we needed different, different ministries. And, and uh, I would like, because we want to start some things this Sunday, so if you feel a burden, uh, you feel like you are, are supposed to be doing something and you don't, you know, you're like, I, I, even if you don't know what it is, but you feel like you're supposed to be doing something, uh, I would like for you to try and get with me before Friday of this week so that I can try and get people who are wanting to do something plugged into those different areas. I will tell you that it's not, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with how the church usually works, especially in a small church, but, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, you have a need and you feel it. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You know, you have a need and you feel it and you just get the job done and there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, we want to get people involved in the areas that they are uh, called to. So ultimately, you don't want to spend all your time in something you're not called to do. That just burns you out. And so one of the things that I want to be real careful of is to make sure that anybody who makes a commitment, who does something on a, on a Sunday morning or just any type of you know, commitment that they're going to make, I want to make sure that they know that this is not the eternal you know, you haven't, you haven't suddenly jumped into the everlasting, never-ending job description, you know. And so uh, those of you that are making this initial response to work in some form of ministry, uh, the commitment is till the end of April. So you're just given basically one month, You'll, we'll, a month and a half, uh, essentially. Um, after that point, or, or really as we're approaching the end of April, then I'll come back to you and start to... You know, ask, what do you think? Where, how do you feel about it? You know, and hopefully others will also be stepping in. And at that point, you're kind of like, eh, you know, I want to do something, but I don't, that's definitely not for me. So we can try and find another place to put you or somewhere else to move you. And those of you that are like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is right where I'm supposed to be. Then we can, we can actually begin to say, okay, well, so for the next, you know, three months or six months, we'll have a time set so you know what you're committing to. You're not just committing for ever and ever and ever. You won't, you know, you're, you don't have to be the door greeter in heaven necessarily, although nothing wrong with that. Amen? <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go to Matthew, the 26th chapter, and uh, let's just read together this, this portion, and then I'm going to preach to you. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then come a Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto him, them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me just one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. 
spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Anybody relate to that? Verse 42. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you right now for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that you were that perfect lamb that was sacrificed for us. Lord God, that you gave yourself willfully on our behalf. That, Lord, you allowed yourself to go to the cross. You weren't taken, but you gave. You walked. You moved. You went that direction and gave yourself up so that we might have eternal life that we could have everlasting life. Father God, I pray that no flesh would be glorified in this house today. Lord God, no glory be brought to me. No one would be able to to look at me and somehow say that I've done anything. But I pray, Father God, that you would increase, that you would be multiplied, that your name would be magnified. Lord God, that people, when they leave this house, whether they remember me or not, Lord, that they would remember you, that they would remember Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. I just thank you for it, Father. I thank you for what you're going to do. Prepare our hearts to receive your word in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, you know, this is an amazing thing. Amazing thing. Can you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh? And yet, something odd is about to happen. You know, really, to someone outside saying this is God, you know, we're so used to it, we sometimes miss this. But if Jesus is who he said he was, then that means on that cross 2,000 years ago was God on a cross being sacrificed. How can that be? It was God walking into a garden in the dark of night that would kneel down, and as one of the disciples said, his, his sweat became like drops of blood coming from him. He was in such agony and such pain and sorrow for what, what was about to come. Really, the battle that took place in the garden is where the victory was won. Because though it had to be on the cross that our salvation was bought, it was in the garden that he submitted his will to the Father. That Jesus Christ said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's an amazing thing. You know, Jesus was about to be put under great stress and difficulty. His whole life was actually marred with different types of, of stress and rejection. In John the 8th chapter, we talked about this a little bit, but in John the 8th chapter, there's actually a passage where they said, we know who your father is and we know how you were born in sin. They were looking back and saying, we know your dad was Joseph and we know that your mom you know, was, was ha- obviously either having an affair or, or you were just born out of, out of wedlock before, before you were even... They, they were trying to pin on Jesus that, that he was somehow born in sin. 
And yet they didn't understand who he really was. They didn't understand what was going on. This was Jesus Christ. He was perfect. He had never sinned. He, he didn't deserve to be mocked and treated bad and spit upon and a crown of thorns put on his head. And he didn't deserve to be put on trial by the Romans and put on trial by the, by the Jewish courts. Matter of fact, every single trial was illegal. Every single one had, had things in them that would have caused them with any other person to have been thrown out. They had certain rights and rules and regulations. It's kind of like uh, in our American society, which is strange because it, it's actually built on a Judeo-Christian foundation. Most people miss that in our culture today, but they don't realize, well, why they get up, matter of fact, they get upset, and sometimes rightfully so, but that we would actually have a system in place where even, even someone who's a criminal has a right to a fair trial, has a right to be uh, put in front of his witnesses, and, and if, if the uh, police don't do their job right, and if things, if, if people don't do what they're supposed to, and they try to, to basically enter in evidence that was wrongfully brought before them, then they kick it out. Even if that person was truly guilty, it gets kicked out. But here's Jesus in the same kind of system, obviously different types of rules, but the same type of system, and he'll go before six trials, three before the Jewish people and, and three before the Romans, and every single one of them, there were multiple occasions where it would have been thrown out under their own ruling, and yet Jesus came for one purpose, and one purpose only, and he was working that out in the garden, right there in the garden. Isn't it interesting? He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteous of God through him. Isn't that amazing? Today I stand clothed in righteousness. But not because I'm just this great person who somehow found a way to God. No, I had no way to God except Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the only way. Yeah. We, we serve an awesome God. I want you to remember this. When you see God standing on, sitting nailed to that cross, He's not there anymore, but when you envision your God nailed to a cross and someone, someone looks and says, well, you know, why would Jesus have to die? Or, you know, all these other religions, you know, there's so many different ways. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus prayed a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And part of that prayer went unanswered. Can you believe Jesus prayed a prayer that went unanswered? Yeah, I'm glad it did. I'm glad that he prayed, take this cup from me. But I'm glad he said, but God, I want your will be done. Isn't that amazing? If God had answered the first part of that prayer, you and I would be dead in our trespasses and sins. We wouldn't have any hope. Thank God for an unanswered prayer that the God of heaven, his own son, made requests, but he knew the plan. He knew what he had designed for him. He knew the purpose and he knew he would raise him up. He knew what was going to happen. And so he literally allows his own son to take our place on a cross. To go through that agony. To go through that thing. And so I just want to ask you today as we're getting started here. I just want to ask you a really pretty simple question. We've all got doubts and fears and suffering, pain, grief, trials, temptations. All these different things and many, many more, all consequences of a fallen world. Certainly nothing that was God's fault. He didn't create it that way, right? 
We serve a God who it even says he is, he is not a God who can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's suffered in all points like we have, yet without sin. Wow. Hebrews 4.15. Will you today surrender? Maybe again. Maybe again. Maybe for some of us we've worshiped God and served God our whole life, but maybe today you're saying, you know, God, I come back to you with a fresh mind and a fresh renewal that I'm going to submit and surrender to you today, that today I'm giving myself back over to you. All the cares that I suffered, all the anxieties that I'm going through, all the cares of this world, because they are often, and sometimes for many of us, they seem to just kind of come back to back, but yet God knows exactly where you've been. He's not a God. Think about it. He's not a God who just kind of knows in his mind what you're going through. He's a God that allowed himself to physically come down and not just know it in his mind because he's all-knowing. He can know your pain. But he's a God who has experienced your pain. He's a God that's experienced your pain. That's powerful. That's powerful. He's a God that has experienced what you're going through. Everything you've gone through. There is nothing. He didn't sin. So if you're talking about temptation to something like that, he didn't sin. But it says he was certainly tempted in all points like we were. All those different things were brought before him. And yet he rejected them. Why? So that because we didn't, he could take our place. And the wrath of God would be poured out on him. Well, I've just got a few things that I want to bring to you. A few points. In the first, the first point was Jesus understands our griefs and our struggles. I... I I want you to be thinking about, will I surrender to God everything today? Everything belongs to Him. Every debt I owed, He's paid it. Everything belongs to Him. I want to ask you before I even start, will you surrender to Him today? Will you surrender to Jesus Christ today, everything you have, and just give it over to Him? Jesus understands our griefs and struggles. Look at at verse uh, 37 and 38. It says, and he, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I just spoke a few seconds about that. But he, he began to be sorrowful and heavy. This is Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Wow. Wow. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 7. Who has believed our report and to whom are the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him like a tender plant, like a root out of dry ground. He hath no form and no majesty that we should look on him. And there's no attractiveness, attractiveness that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by others and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one whom people hide their faces, we despised him and did not value him. Surely he has bore our griefs and sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that made us whole was upon him. And by his stripes or bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon us the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth like a lamb that was led before the slaughter. As a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
Praise God. Amen. That's what happens when I give you two versions. You get kind of the King James slash something else mixed in there, just in case you're wondering, following along. Yeah, that's a passage I should have just quoted from memory because it's been stuck in my head for so long. But what a powerful passage from the Bible. What a powerful passage in the Old Testament, recorded into Greek several hundred years before the Messiah would come, before Jesus Christ would reveal himself several hundred years before. And here he is offering himself as our sacrifice, taking on our place. Even talks about the fact that he would grow up having suffering and sorrow, being rejected by people. Wow, pretty powerful, isn't it? Are you alone? The second point is Jesus knows how it feels to be alone. In verse 38, he says something interesting in Matthew's account that he doesn't, that the other, uh, the other disciples leave out. But I think it's important. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Now the others say, and tarry here and watch. But then Matthew records something I think he was... was important that he added this. Watch with me. Be with me. Amen. He wanted them there. He had the disciples with him and it was late at night and he had already had the dinner with them. He knew one of them would betray him. He knew not long after all of them would scatter out and, and leave him. He knew Peter was going to reject him. But there in that moment as he's in anguish and he's going through his torment and he's going through this struggle and he's there and he leaves the disciples. But then he says, hey, I want you three to come a little closer. I want you to follow me on a little bit further. And then he tells them, watch, watch. But even they can't keep their eyes open. Watch with me. I think that's so important. I don't want us to miss that. That even Jesus Christ who created us, he created Adam and Eve. He created us as relational beings. He created us to have unity together and to be together. We were never meant to be alone. And here's Jesus Christ again saying, come on, I need you to be with me. Has anybody ever gone through anything where you just wanted to know that somebody was praying for you, that somebody was standing in the gap for you, that somebody was working with you, that somebody cared enough about you just to call and say hello, just to call and say, hey, I care about you. I'm praying for you. I support you. I want you to know I'm here for you. We need to be able to make sure that we know we're caring for others, and it's important for us in every way that we connect with people, that we stand together. You know what? I I used to always and still do sometimes, depending on the circumstance or situation, I'll tell someone I'm praying for you. But I've really tried to get away from from saying I'll pray for you if the time allows, and rarely does it not allow. I want to pray for them right then. Because I don't know about you, but life gets busy and it's easy to start kind of just, you walk off and good intentions and you plan on praying, but then if you don't, If you don't come back to it suddenly, you'll realize that you haven't really spent that time praying. So when someone, you know, texts me over the phone, I try to just stop right there and just pray. There's very rarely that I can't do that, that I can't just stop what I'm doing for just a moment and cry out their name and call out their name and pray for them. Or when they're with me physically, just to stop and say, I'm going to pray with you. Can we pray right now? And so I encourage you, 
Some of you, oh, you know, I don't speak in public. I don't like praying out loud. I'm not a very good prayer warrior. Well, can you talk? Do you ever talk to a friend? Because Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is someone who cares about you. And he didn't want to be alone in his agony. And he knows what it feels like. And he doesn't want you to walk alone either. He wants, to be, he wants you to know that no matter where you are in your darkest days, he is right there beside you. He has never left you. He is right there with you. But sometimes even Jesus knows what it's like. And even Jesus wants somebody to be with them that's got skin on. Even Jesus wants somebody just to watch and pray and be there for them. Wow. That's the kind of suffering our God went through. Verse 3, I mean uh, section 3. Oh no, I, I want to, I'm sorry, I want to give you this passage here. We talk about Jesus being alone and I, I talked to you about the suffering he did. But look in Psalms 22 verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, Come on. Yeah. why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from delivering me from my groaning words? Those should sound familiar because they were the words that Jesus spoke out on the cross in Matthew, the 27th chapter, verse 47, about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You need to read Psalms 22 all the way through. What a powerful, powerful psalm. What a powerful passage of the suffering Savior, of the Messiah, It literally details out events across along the cross and across the garden and all these things that are going on. It's incredible the detail it has regarding our Savior. It's very incredible. But there it is, Psalms 22. I encourage you to go and look that up, to go and read it. The third thing I want to talk to you about is Jesus understands your unanswered prayers. I I mentioned this for just a second, but boy, I, I think it's so important. Matthew, the 26th chapter, verse 39. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Wow. What a, what a, what a thing to go through to know. You know what I believe? God hears every prayer you pray. But your faith is built on trust. And if you don't have trust, then your faith really isn't tried. You know, we can say we believe in Jesus Christ, but it's only through those trials that we stand firm and we say, I trust him to answer my prayers. I trust him to deliver me. You know, when you're reading that Psalms 22, we're not going to do it today for time's sake. But boy, I'll tell you what, during the middle of the song, how are you so far from me, God? Why do you not hear my prayer? Why do you not answer me? But at the end, it's the voice of triumph and the voice of victory because he has. And then it literally ends just like it begins with the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It ends with the words to tell us that it is finished. Jesus Christ on the cross. His last words breathe before he goes out. It is finished, which meant paid in full. Your debt, everything you had owed, paid in full. Every bit of it, paid in full. Praise God. Praise God. 
Philip Yancey quoted, I think it's up on the screen, he says, when Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he did not get the salvation, he did not get that salvation. He got instead the salvation of the world. Wow. He could have saved himself, but in doing so, we would have all died. Let me tell you something else about that. Jesus says something very important in this prayer. He says, God, if there's any other way. God, if there's any other way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, I've heard people in the church, maybe because, you know, some of us, we don't like conflict and we want to want to try. You know, we got friends that aren't saved and maybe they're... They're doing all these other types of religions and we want to be nice to them. You can be nice to them and not believe what, what they think. But we want, to, we, want to, we want to create waves and so we kind of give this Unitarian, well, you know, they, they obviously, you know, are serving, you know, God how they think they should serve God and, and you know, do you realize that Jesus' prayer here, if there's any other way, Nevertheless, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. Do you realize that if, if there is another way to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing? Because he prayed, God, if there's another way, if Buddha will work, if Muhammad will work, yeah. if, if, if Joseph Smith and his teaching, if that will work, if any of these other things will work, if there's another way, if there's an enlightenment and I can just somehow get to God, if there's another way, there's no other way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. That is a message that you can't afford to give up. That is a message that we, well, I, I'll tell you, I've drawn the line in the sand. I can't be moved beyond that no matter how much conflict I want to resolve, no matter how much I want to be able to tell people I love you. The truth is, is I can't tell them I love them unless I told them about Jesus Christ. I can't truly, genuinely say I really care for them if I'm willing to allow them to die and go to hell. So the truth is... The truth is, is you either believe that Jesus Christ truly has come and is dying for your sins and he truly has given himself for you and you truly believe that with all your heart and you're on your way to heaven or you really don't believe it because if you believed it and you love someone, you'd never let them go to hell too. You can't make them give their life to Christ. You can't do it. But let's not joke around about this. Let's not maybe wishy-washy about this one fact. We've got to tell our loved ones about Jesus. We don't have to pound it over their head. We don't have to hit it with them every day. But if they've not heard the gospel, you need to let them know. You need to tell them that there's a God who died for their sins, who loves them, who cares for them. And there is a real hell, and he has delivered us from it. But you've got to call on him. You've got to call on his name. You've got to cry out to Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other way. Amen. Amen. Psalm 22, verse 2. My God, I cry out to you throughout the day, but you do not answer. And throughout the night, but I have no rest. Wow. 
Oh, but there's victory. Because on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? But everybody knows that was, that was just a few days before Sunday. Because those words never, didn't ring true Sunday morning. Because there was a stone rolled away. There was, a, there was no longer a Savior held in the ground. There was no longer a Savior who was, who was you know, uh, trapped inside of a tomb. His body died and, and decaying. No, he didn't decay. He didn't die. God raised him up yeah. from the dead. That's yeah. the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of Savior we serve. That's the great mystery of the gospel is Jesus Christ. He's alive. He is alive forevermore. He lives inside of you and me. We don't serve a God that's dead. I can't go find his bones. I I mean, you know, they they give us all kinds of relics and all kinds of things. We can go search out, but you can't find it. You can't find it. It's not there. Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen. Wow. I don't know if I prayed to a God that was dead. You realize millions, actually billions of people do that every year? I I mean, I'm just thinking of the modern term is, how's that working out for you? That's what pops my mind. Sorry, I hope that... But anyway, yeah, the truth is is we've got a Savior. And he doesn't always answer our prayers, but it's not. Matter of fact, the truth is is sometimes, I think it was Oswald Chambers that said, you know, uh, he said, sometimes we think God has missed the mark, but it's because we're too short-sighted to see where he's aiming at. Yeah. See, He was going to answer Christ's prayer, but it wouldn't be the way Christ asks it. He was going to deliver him not from the cross and the tomb, but through the cross and the tomb. Some of you guys are going through your struggle, and you haven't been pulled out of your struggle, but it doesn't mean your answer isn't there. God's got a purpose and a reason for everything and that's where your faith gets strong because you just hold on to Him and you begin to trust Him and and you know that He's got your hand. He's got your back. He knows where you're at. The last one, the fourth one, I kind of hit on this earlier as well. Matthew, it's in the 38th verse as well. Or actually, no, I'm sorry, this is actually a little bit further down. Where he says, oh, uh, verse 39, Oh, my Father, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of God's wrath, referred to in the Old Testament, referred to in Revelation. It was, it was signifying the wrath of God that would come upon the world. It was seen in the judgment of the flood. But God's grace was faithful through Noah. And through his family. And God saved him through that. And now his wrath has been held up for a long time. And the fury of God is going to be poured out. But on that cross, the fury of God, the wrath of God was taken by someone who didn't deserve it. So that you and I could receive it. 
Jesus Christ experienced God's wrath so that you and I would never have to. We have truly, as Romans, the fifth chapter says, we have been saved from the wrath through him. We are saved from the wrath of God through Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 25, 15 says, For this is what the Lord God of Israel says to me, Take this cup of the wine of burning anger from my hand and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Isaiah 51, 17, Awake, awake, stand up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand for the cup that is his anger. You have drunk from the dredge, uh, the cup that makes you stagger and have drained it. Revelation 14, 9 through 10, Then another angel, one, a third one, followed them, saying in a loud voice, Whoever worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, will drink the wrath of God's, or drink the wine of God's wrath, which has been poured out, undiluted, into the cup of his anger. He will be tortured with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. I'll just be honest with you, that's not a message that goes over well in our modern society. You just kind of avoid hell altogether. Don't talk about it. Don't say anything about it. We don't want people to know about hell. We want them to see nice, puffy clouds and have good feelings and good thoughts. I want them to have that too. This is the other side of heaven. But for now, I want them to know both sides of the coin. I want them to know that yes, there's a heaven and God is there waiting for us. But there's a way to get there. And Jesus Christ paid that way. He is that way. That wrath of God is still going to be poured out. But it was poured on Jesus Christ so that you and I could go through him. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Swallowed up. Wow. We have victory today through Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered everything to Him? Praise the Lord. I, I, I'm reminded of this song. I went ahead and jotted it down. 1.30 last night. You know, man, time changes get you. You know, I have to watch that. Some of you are thinking the same thing. Yeah. All right. Like, oh my goodness, here we go. Oh, yeah. yeah you're, you're nodding. Uh, none of you would do. <laughs> I know Mike and Teresa were up, you know, rocking out at a, at a concert last night. My wife, you know, she's, yeah. I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt. That I could never pay. Sin started in a garden. And sin was defeated in a garden. Sin started in the garden. And sin was defeated in the garden. Praise God. Would you stand? Father God, I just thank you right now. I thank you, Father God, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father God, for the salvation that we have in you. That, Father, there is nothing you cannot do. That, Father God, we just, right now, I just pray that you would give, that you would build up faith in your servants. I pray right now, Father God, that you would cause your servants, Lord, whatever it may be, whatever trial or tribulation they're going through, I pray that they would recognize that the circumstances of, of, that surround what they're going through are never bigger than the God 
that they serve. That you are a God who is greater than every circumstance or every situation. And that you can bring glory to your name through everything we do. I just pray right now, Lord God, that you desire to save us through the fire. You desire and sometimes even pulling us out of that very trial. But Lord God, we trust you in every situation. We know that you have suffered and you did it on our behalf. We know that you are a God who is not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. That you were tempted in all points like we were, yet without sin. Right now, Father God, I believe that there are people who are going in in this house that 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 have been trapped in some form of sin or addiction. And they want deliverance. They want deliverance. But they have not yet got it. Father God, I pray for your spirit to give them deliverance today as they just surrender to you. I pray right now, Lord God, maybe maybe people who have been living for you for a long time, but it's just become routine. Church is just a normal everyday occurrence. I just just keep coming every every so often. I just keep coming. Just going through the motions. But I just pray right now, Lord God, that you would burn a fire inside of them, Lord. I pray that you would ignite in them a fresh wind, a, a fresh fire, a fresh anointing of your oil, Lord God. Pour it out over them, Lord. I pray for them to be revived and renewed in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, I just pray right now for you to begin to bring about healing in people's lives. I believe there are people who are, have, have, have mental issues, Lord God, not just, just are going through mental anguish, depression, suffering. And it may not be physical, and they may be able to hide it from everybody else, but they are in torment in their mind. And I just pray, Father God, that they would recognize that you are there to deliver them that you are there to bring them victory. And I pray right now, Lord God, for healing in bodies. I believe, Lord God, that by your stripes, we are healed. You paid for it right there in the garden. You paid for it in the cross. And I just pray right now, Lord God, that we would see healing in this house today. Lord God, I thank you for those who are walking continually in trust and faith and victory, knowing that they're healing is already taken care of. That now they're just living out the circumstances, but they know that the healing's already been bought and paid for. They believe and know that their healing is here. I just give you glory for that. I thank you for it, Father. And those that don't know it, I just pray right now, Lord God, that they will receive their healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to ask, is there anybody in here that you'd say, you know what, I am... I am not living for Jesus. He is not my Lord and Savior. I have not lived for Him, but I want to know Him. I want to have Jesus Christ living in my heart and in my life. Is there anybody in this place that you'll say, Pastor, I need you to pray with me. I want to receive Jesus Christ today. Anyone in this house? Anyone in this place? I want Jesus Christ today.
now. Maybe you, maybe you can't come up, but if you can, I want to invite you to these altars.